0: let's jump into our next topic which is a biblical view of sexuality I think on your notes it says biblical sexuality so it has a, it looks a little different than what than what you have there Um This will take our whole time, so we want to make sure that we have our, enough time here. But what an important issue to discuss, especially in light of Romans 12, when the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And so that implies not just one thing, but everything right so we can't be conformed we have to be transformed we need to in this area as much as any we need to stand out we need to understand what the bible says teach what the bible says counsel what the bible says and be able to discuss it without embarrassment without hanging our heads without getting blushed right we have to be able to discuss these issues uh, as adults i was in a meeting in fort worth two weeks ago and we were talking about a very tough issue everybody in the room was a pastor and one man i, I don't know what state he's from i think georgia somewhere i don't remember where but he sits up in a seat and he says somebody's got to be the senior pastor in this room and it, it made a very bold statement and it was a great statement he showed good leadership uh and so I think about it. when we get to this issue, somebody has to be the adult in the room, right? Somebody has to understand what the Bible teaches and then say that and say it with passion, right? Say it the way it's meant. There's a brand new book coming out on biblical sexuality. Uh, it's, it's in my office. It's, I have the paper form. Uh, I'm about halfway through it. It looks like it's going to be a great resource. My friend in Los Angeles is writing it, Scott Mell so I think that's that's going to be a good resource. There's some other good resources coming out even in relationship to this issue. Notice in the introduction, let's talk through a couple things. Sex relates when we talk about sex generally, right, it relates to one's biological sex also known as gender and marital sex relating to anything between a husband and wife that leads to intercourse. In this time we don't have time to talk about gender that's for another talk it's for another time Again, you're just getting a little bit about everything so here we're primarily spending our time talking about as you're here marital sex because if you counsel a hundred couples maybe one or two of those couples will ask you about gender right not many very few let's say 10 percent, but the other 90 you're going to need to talk about uh, marital intimacy so at that point that's what i think we need to learn together god created man and god created woman male and female adam and eve with (laughs) biological differences as well as theological differences we're going to see that throughout the weekend Man's sin nature created environments which has led to much distortion and confusion over the biblical view of sexuality. Marital intimacy provides many interesting conversations and opportunities to help people glorify God in counseling uh, without any doubt. Looks like that's written in there twice. My apologies. To say the least, maybe it's because it's so important. To say the least, the biblical counselor must not just understand this issue biblically, but must also address these issues with the passion and clarity of the scriptures, which I just said. Often, many of the strengths and weaknesses of a typical marriage are magnified. You might underline or circle that. That is true. If you have weaknesses in any other area of your marriage, it's probably going to be magnified in marital intimacy. Right? that's where you'll see part of the cracks sexual problems in marriage these two go together are never alone instead they are linked to every other issue in marriage you say well we have a communication problem you'll have a sex problem we have a money problem well you'll have a communication and a sex problem right you're going we have a child problem well you'll have problems in these other areas too because they all connect why because there's hearts associated with all those things from the abundance of the heart the Mouth speaks as well as the body has intercourse and every other element of life. It comes from the same heart. So we would anticipate if you're struggling in one or more of those areas to glorify God, you're also going to struggle in the area to glorify God sexually. All right, let's begin with a series of questions. Here's the first one. What is the purpose of sex? The ultimate purpose of sex is the glory of God. The ultimate purpose of sex is the glory of God. Now, there are critical passages we need to think through. Let's begin with this one in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you'll notice, in verse 18 it says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God and you were not your own for you were bought at a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's now in this particular text when he says glorify God in your body and in your spirit if you'll you have to look at the all of chapter 6 to understand his argument but what essentially he's saying Is that you don't have your spirit right so some were saying in the Corinthian church well it's okay your spirit needs to be all given to God and you need to say no to every pleasure of the body so there was a suggestion then that somehow the spirit and the body they weren't all equal in the same embodied person well what paul is saying as he's answering their questions and he says he's talking to them when he says glorify god in your spirit here he'd be talking about the inner man and glorify god in your body yes he's talking about the flesh but euphemistically in this setting he's talking about in your sexual relationships so he's saying to glorify god let's go back and read verse 20 he says for you are bought at a price, therefore glorify God what? In your body, which is what? Euphemistically in this text, not simply talking about your body, your flesh, but what you do in your body, specifically in terms of sex. So glorify God in your sex as well, physical as well as in your spirit, because what? Everything you're doing is God's. Because right? you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. You're God's. So I think we would have to say the ultimate purpose is the glory of God. And that would be true for 1 Corinthians 10 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do includes kissing, it includes intercourse, it includes going to Walmart, it includes everything. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do what? Do all for the glory of God. So you can't talk about sex without talking about the glory of God. Those two things always go together. So what are the subordinate purposes? Let me suggest four. First, it's a celebration of one flesh. We've been talking about Genesis 2. moses says therefore leave your father mother and cleave to your wife and you will become one flesh together so it's a celebration of the one flesh relationship between a husband and his wife additionally it's for procreation again my friend scott has taken some of the material we're going over tonight he's taken that off my blogs and he's put it in a book and he's nuanced procreation he would cause this blessing of blessing of children I, I, I actually like what he did in it, with it but the idea is sometimes when you have intercourse God blesses you with the child we call that procreation but that's one purpose of sex Again, Genesis 1 and Genesis 8, Genesis 9, those would all be commands. The third one would be expression of love, right? We get the same Genesis 2:24 command. We get that same command over in Ephesians chapter 5 when he's specifically there talking about the husband loves his wife like Christ loves the church and she respects and follows her husband. And so... An expression of love and here's the fourth one pleasure now there are all kinds of passages that speak to pleasure in fact if we were just stacking passages comparing the purposes as to the number of times they're used related to each purpose pleasure would be here and the rest of them would be much smaller Right? we don't want to miss that I've got it as number four If this material ever goes to another format it probably pleasure will be brought back to number one of the subordinate purposes in fact uh, there's a chapter I've written in Amy Baker's book on counseling children and she asked me to write about this issue in explaining sex to children and pleasure was the first of those I put in because uh, with the child that's what they're experiencing or or experimenting with and they're concerned about and so i think it's important to say it recognize it understand god gave a husband and a wife in a god-ordained god-honoring context he gave them the capacity for some of the world's greatest pleasure together and the bible talks about it in a variety of ways including be intoxicated with this kind of pleasure together where in marriage that's the only place so I think you don't want to miss right it's number four in our list but don't miss the significance of it because it is a great blessing so what are the direct benefits then if you have sex as a married couple according to the purpose of God what are the direct benefits let me suggest three the first one is encouragement Husband and wife are both encouraged with a vibrant sexual relationship together. A husband encourages his wife. A wife encourages her husband. I think the second one would be satisfaction. A husband is satisfied with his wife. A wife is satisfied with her husband. Now, you might put a big star by this one. Again, Right, this material kind of changes pretty often. I think satisfaction in my mind is a critical one for this reason I do a different talk about how to handle sexual sin and in that talk I say that I believe the root issue if you were gonna say what is the number one warning sign for the possibility of sexual sin the number one warning sign is a lack of gratitude or you would say discontentment I take that out of James 1 13 to 18 so when we say that a direct benefit is satisfaction what should we do when we're satisfied one of the critical things is we should be grateful right great satisfaction should produce great contentment and great gratitude uh, my favorite meal in fact i had it this week which was amazing i took a picture and sent it to my wife uh i was at a at a meeting and they brought the food out to all of us that were there and i was like to god's glory this is fantastic it's prime rib with i like grilled asparagus but it could be fried asparagus but with asparagus with butter and then a Baked sweet potato with brown sugar and cinnamon. That's my favorite meal. When I come home and my wife has that prepared, I'm usually thinking, wonder what she wants, right? (laughs) Right, She is setting me up for something. Or she's just trying to be so kind. My favorite meal. But this is the reality. If you give me a prime rib with asparagus and... A baked sweet potato and then you come along and say hey would you like a piece of dessert I'm gonna immediately say oh heavens no why because I am so satisfied this meal is so overwhelmingly satisfying that the thought of dessert could make me sick now many of you know especially the students who see me eat lunch a lot with them I am pro-dessert Right? I love dessert to a level that I often start there in my meals. Right? So when I say this meal makes me say no to dessert, that is significant. Why? Because just the thought of dessert after you've had that meal makes you think, oh, it makes me shiver. Right? I don't want to have anything to do with it because this meal is so satisfying. Friends, that's the way sex ought to be in a relationship, a husband and a wife relationship. It ought to be so satisfying as a couple that the thought of anything else except what truly satisfies you, which would be with, a husband, with one's husband and one's wife inside the marriage relationship, with that kind of satisfaction, everything else ought to be like, oh, you're crazy. Why would I choose pornography? Why would I choose an illicit relationship? Why would I choose any of those things? Because I am 100% satisfied, more than satisfied. Right? I think that's the, we would say that is a benefit. The third one is protection. That flows right out of this. Right? We're going to talk about that as we get to 1 Corinthians here in a few minutes. But what it says is, don't give the devil a place to tempt you. Now, again, we're going to talk more, much more about that because this, at this point it's a bit out of balance in the way I've said it. So I think those are the direct benefits. Notice number two. Sex in marriage is God's idea and should be celebrated as such. Friends, sex is not Satan's idea. Sex is not the world's idea. Sex is God's idea. He's the one who gave it to us. God's the one who, in Genesis, brings Eve out and introduces her to Adam. And Adam says, oh, this, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman, right? Ish and Isha. Right? Why did he say Isha? Because he's probably like, oh, Isha, that's the one. This is it. All the other stuff in the garden, pretty cool. But this is it. This is the crowning jewel of creation. It's the helper comparable. It's the one that you've brought to me. Adam is overwhelmed with gratitude. And it says, and he knew his wife Eve. Right, and that's again where God, Moses, says, they're naked and there's no shame. Sex is a part of the creation mandate, which is what we were just talking about. Adam recognized Eve as his suitable helper. Now, on multiple levels, right? In terms of of our anatomy, God has physiologically made men and women so that in terms of this one flesh relationship, they fit together. And they fit together in a way that produces literally one flesh right? so God when Adam says yes I see this is my suitable helper when God introduces Eve there's no question that there's a biological difference between male and female and they're made to be celebrated and they're made to be joined together right? so I think we can't miss that sex is and for that reason I would say sex is the physical sign of the marriage covenant becoming one flesh it doesn't make you married people say well sex consummates a marriage that is catholic theology that protestants have accepted and i don't buy it because so what do you do if you have somebody who cannot consummate cannot physically have intercourse are you saying they're never married Because if you say sex consummates it, then you have to be able to deal with the exception. So we can't. So what actually makes a marriage? When you make a covenant with God and you make a covenant with each other and usually with witnesses. That's when you're married. Why? Because marriage is a covenantal relationship. Without any doubt, though, (laughs) sex is the physical sign of it. And it celebrates it the one flesh relationship in marriage reflects the relationship between the selfless love of christ and his relationship to the church we just talked about that last hour therefore similar to adam and eve all marriages should enjoy vibrant god-honoring sexual intimacy Again, just a, just a cursory reading of the text and you see that this is true. Let me read you two of these texts. Listen to Proverbs 5. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. The idea of enraptured here that's the new king james the term is intoxicated right the bible speaks highly of this particular relationship and it's reserved only for marriage put a big circle around first thessalonians 4 pardon me verses really it's that whole first paragraph but 4 6 is important It's reserved only for marriage, and as such, sex in marriage is holy and pure. I've had people tell me in premarital counseling, in fact, one particular person in premarital counseling, if I used the word sex, that person would shiver all over. Uh, Because of, of bad teaching by a parent growing up, This person thought of sex as evil, as dirty. And they've been told, be pure, be pure, be pure. Sex is dirty, right? That's not the biblical teaching. Sex is not dirty inside of marriage. That's what we ought to be teaching. But we're supposed to wait until we're married before we enjoy it, right? There is an issue of self-control, but sex in marriage is holy and pure number three sex is important but it's not the most important sometimes it's hard to teach it's hard to convince immature men of that but it's true sex is important but not the most important look at first corinthians we'll start looking we'll primarily be in this text the rest of the way through In second verse seven, verse two, it says, "Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let every man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband." Sexual immorality is a real concern for all people in Adam, which is what he's addressing here. In verse one, the question is, "Should a man not touch a woman?" Paul identified the importance of a spouse to help protect the marriage's integrity. That's why he says, nevertheless, because of immorality. Right? So he identified this as one way to protect the integrity of a marriage. However, sex is not the primary focus of a marriage. In fact, all other issues in marriage related to oneness, unity, companionship, commitment, and others, impact the sexual relationship. What does that mean? Sex must be kept in perspective. Right? If you listen to the world system, especially if you're looking at, if you have a history of pornography or you're looking at pornography, you would think that relationships are primarily about sex. Right? That's a a bad view. You're going to both end up disappointed and your sex relationship in marriage will absolutely implode because it's never was never meant to carry the weight of a hard marriage and every marriage is hard but your sexual relationship cannot carry that kind of weight God gave it as a gift he did not give it as the primary weight bearing uh, element of marriage to help you be faithful in a covenant God has created both husband Oh, no, I misread that. Marriage is not, first and foremost, a sexual union. Right? If we went with the consummation idea, then we'd have to do something with John 4. Why? Because this woman, Jesus stalked her, a Samaritan woman at the well, and Jesus says, Oh, yeah, you've had five husbands, and the man you're now living with isn't your husband. So are we suggesting that she's had... Intercourse with these five, but the one she's living with, she's been celibate, right? That, that goes against just the plain reading of the text itself, right? So if you were though saying that intercourse equals consummation, then it'd be hard to say then that sixth one in God's eye would not also be a spouse. Do you understand what I'm saying? So with that in mind, I would again say I don't think the consummation thing uh, is accurate biblically. But we do have sex, and it certainly, in that sense, was sinful for that story in John 4. So letter D, the purpose of sex, then, is to serve the marriage, not marriage to deserve the desire for sex. As such, sex is a blessing to God for married couples. In verse 9 of this text, it says, For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. But right before that, it says, But what's best? It's best to exercise self-control. That's what's best. Right? If you are burning with passion and you have no capacity or you are not exercising any capacity to practice self-control, you are setting yourself up for a miserable marriage so could you get married i understand what verse 9 is saying yes i and it's really in the it's in the context of the widow and what are you going to do now that your husband is gone right so it's in that context it's not two 18 year olds 19 20 or 28 year olds who have never been married But I understand what the text is saying, and I would just say to you, be warned that if you think that marriage is going to fix your lust problem, you have a long and laborious and life ahead of you that is full of slavery, unless God radically helps you repent. Because if you have a sexual problem, a lust problem before marriage, I guarantee you, you will have one after marriage. God never made any woman that she can fulfill every man's lust. You have to, it's it's from the wrong motivation, right? There's so many things that are wrong there. It's just going to create a lot of difficulties. Here's one of them, that this is a, a lesson you have to learn, that if lust is your thing, then you've missed this. What is this? The focus of sex is giving, not receiving. The proper motivation for sex is the spouse's satisfaction, not personal satisfaction, or you could say it this way. It's other-focused, not self-focused. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. The goal, the motivation, should be love. That This is a major inconsistency in the church. What do we say, right? Most Christians can say, oh, here are the three Greek words for love. Right? We've got eros. We have this, what's that? Phileo, yes, which is the city of brotherly love. So we have brotherly love. We have eros, or erotic love, romantic love, and then we have agape. That's the supreme love of the Bible. It's selfless. It's giving. It's Jesus' kind of love. It's the highest love you can have. Always sacrificial. And we apply that on many levels, but when when we actually talk about sex and marriage, what? It's like agape doesn't exist anymore. It's about this erotic sense of have it your own way. Get your own lust fulfilled. No, what ought to make, what ought to motivate a husband to have sex with his wife is the goal to give, not the goal to receive. And what ought to motivate a wife to have sex with her husband is to give and not receive. Agape is just as much important in sex as it is in every other way in the Christian life. So it should be about giving, not about receiving. God has created both husband and wife with equal ability to satisfy each other. This means both husband and wife are to participate wholeheartedly and passionately, and to not do so is a sin. Right? What God commands... God always gives the capacity to fulfill that command. So God doesn't ask you to do something that he doesn't give you the ability to do. So when it says that a wife and a husband in verses 3 and 4 should give to the other person, that implies then that the wife and the husband have the capacity to do that as well. Part of glorifying God with your body is, includes your desire to satisfy your spouse if you're going to glorify god then it's certainly part of satisfaction so we could say it this way in reality sex is just a physical expression of love therefore sex like love should always be selfless and giving in nature Right? You don't read that on a bathroom wall. You're not going to go online and see people talk about that. Sex is not about you, it's about your spouse. So what that means, if you're not married, sex isn't about this season. Sex is about another season. Because the whole purpose of sex is to give... As Christ to love as Christ to another. It's a selfless expression of love. Notice this principle then opposes pornography. Why? Because pornography has self-motivation in it completely through it. It's about self-satisfying, self-satisfaction and minimizes the image of god and the people that you're objectifying that when you watch it or listen to it that goes against self-masturbation why because self-masturbation has as its goal self-pleasure god didn't give us sex for self-pleasure he gave us sex in the right context marriage to give selflessly to another person To provide them satisfaction, so to self-masturbate, you are functioning with the wrong motivation. Homosexuality, again, it's 100% against God's plan, God's design. You can argue that by text. You can argue that physiologically, and then other sexual sins as well. So the focus of sex, (coughs) pardon me is giving, not receiving. Number five, sex in marriage should be regular and continuous. Sex in marriage should be regular and continuous. Look at verse five. It says, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So when we talk about regular and continuous, there's a couple of things to note. First, your personal desire is not the focus of sex. Unless, and by personal desire here, I'm specifically talking about your personal satisfaction. That's not what should motivate you. What should motivate you is your desire to satisfy, your desire to serve. So your personal desire isn't the focus. And deprivation in this context is sinful. Deprivation, the way he describes it here, is sinful. Do not deprive one another. So what then would be five biblical guidelines for refraining? Because the text gives us some, so let's consider what those are. In verse 5, it says, do not deprive one another, what? Except with consent. So the first one is mutual consent. Understand these terms, if you've never had them. If you don't understand them or if you have never been introduced to them, the majority of us, especially my age, would certainly understand them. It is, you do never make a decision related to sex unilaterally. Right? What is a unilateral decision? It means I make the decision and you are the one that has to live with the consequence of it. Right? It's one direction. All decisions in marriage about sex should be bilateral. Right? Both parties have a voice. Both parties have personhood. Both parties come together and it's a conversation. So sex is not unilateral. A man doesn't declare it's time for sex. We're just using the man and female in this particular way. A wife doesn't declare, no, it's not. Because both of those are unilateral decisions. It needs to be bilateral. It's a conversation. He says here, do not deprive one another except with consent. That implies that there's a conversation. It implies that a husband and wife both are engaged in this decision-making process. What is it? It's a specific period of time, predetermined and prearranged. Do not deprive one another except with consent, what? For a time. So it's not open-ended. It's not, we'll see if we get around to this again. Maybe someday we'll do this once again. No, it's for a time with a particular purpose. Now, the specific, that's number three, the specific goal, the one he mentions, man, what a high and holy goal. It's for prayer and fasting. So that's a very specific and both spiritual reason. But I have a little note here. Notice that wisdom should be used in relationship to sickness, surgery, pregnancy, travel, emergencies, and things like that. He doesn't say the only goal is prayer and fasting, although that certainly could be a goal, because it's the one he mentions. But when a doctor says, you just had a baby, I don't want you to have sex for six weeks, and some jerk husband in week one and a half comes in and wants to have sex, I want to take him up and rip him out by his head and explain to him what his doctor said. (laughs) I want to be kind when I do it. What a jerk. What an immature person that you can't listen to a doctor and understand this is what's best for your wife. That explains to you that this is not about his wife and it's never about his wife. Right? So, people who demand, people who do things unilaterally, that's sin against your spouse. So, they're could be emergencies there can be travel again I have all kinds of folks come to counseling but sometimes they come to counseling and they say well they say we're really struggling it's holiday season we're gonna go home and visit parents and I don't want to go this year and the man's ticked off because she doesn't want to go and they're having this big blowout and now they've come to counseling and you start asking questions and you realize it's because every time he visits the family he wants to have sex in the bedroom he grew up in, and she does absolutely does not want to do that. And there, this is an opportunity for an incredible fight because what? You have two, specifically a very immature husband, who thinks somehow this is a gladiator fight. Or somehow it gives him a notch in his belt. Right? A lot of... Problems in a marriage relationship could be fixed with godly, immature husbands. Because often they're immature. And so now she doesn't want to go home, and right, we're. we're the, this, the issue really doesn't relate much to going home, it relates to that's where he sins. And she doesn't want to participate in it, and so she's asking for help. So we want to be wise. That's the point. There has to be a specific goal. It's not a sin as a couple to say no. Notice number four. Caution should be exercised before abstaining so as to not give Satan an area to tempt either spouse. That's so important. And that's what the text says. And come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So caution must be exercised. Number five, refraining should be terminated with sexual intimacy. He says, come together again. So he's specifically here talking about intercourse. So those are the five biblical guidelines. You don't have to have sex every day you're married. There are certain days you're gonna not want to. The wisdom area may be broad in a particular marriage, but it needs to be a conversation. Uh, i often actually we'll get to that in one second so how often should a husband and wife have sex that's a good question to answer let me give you three answers one enough to keep each other satisfied generosity is important be generous generous people bless other people when someone's generous and they give you a vehicle it's a blessing. When someone's generous and they give you money, it's a blessing. When someone's generous and they pay for your meal and you don't know who's paid for it, but someone paid for it when you weren't looking, you always walk out saying, ah, what a great blessing. It's the same way in, in sexual intimacy in a marriage. Just be generous. People enjoy generosity. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. So be generous. Number two, enough to avoid temptation. Enough to avoid temptation, which is specifically mentioned here. So generosity, satisfaction is mentioned, also enough to avoid temptation. Look what Dr. Bob Smith says, good friend of mine. He says, the question is not when shall we have sex or shall we have sex or when are you going to want sex, but the real question is, is when shall we not have sex. And I taught that very specifically and pointedly for years in premarital. And I had a couple call me, uh, a couple years ago, it was, it was during the COVID time period. I don't know, two years ago or three. And this couple, I did the premarital years ago. They, they were just a fantastic couple on lots of levels. Love the Lord, love each other. And they said, Pastor Kevin, can we talk to you and I could tell by the way they asked it was need to be private so I went downstairs in our basement and put them on speakerphone because they were both there on the phone they said pastor Kevin remember when you told us and they quoted dr. Smith the question is not when shall we have sex or shall we have sex or when are you going to want sex but when shall we not have sex and they've been married probably eight or eight or so years they said we have had sex every day of our marriage and we're just tired. Is it possible? <laughs> this is an honest. I'm telling 100% honesty. They said, "Would it honor the Lord if we just didn't for a little bit?" <laughs> said, "I imagine He's very honored." So you. <laughs> and so I have adjusted my question. Uh, the question that I think the best question to ask, and I've been saying this for a couple of years. But it's not in your notes so you'll need to add it in here the best question to ask is this one are you satisfied because if you're satisfied what there's nothing you need to give so if the goal is giving and not receiving and you say to your spouse are you satisfied and they say yes I'm satisfied then then what you should be full of pleasure because you've done your role as a spouse and the other spouse is satisfied. So if your motivation is right, and the spouse says they're satisfied, then both people can be satisfied. So I think that's the better question. Number six, possible problems of marital intimacy. Let me work through these. First, what if my spouse is not pleased, right? What if they just do not enjoy our sexual relationship? There's four things. First, open, humble communication is essential. Right, you need to talk about it you, uh, with humility. There could be any number of things or any number of problems. Right? Anything from hygiene to work schedules. Right, There's all kinds of things that might be associated with this. So you want to just be committed to humble communication. Number two, consider your communication in general. So don't come with humble communication to talk about sex when you're not really honoring the Lord with the rest of your communication throughout the day. So consider all your communication. Number three, do not make climax the goal of satisfaction. I just mentioned that a minute ago. I can be, you can be 100% satisfied if your spouse says, oh man, it's been a long day If you want to satisfy me, the very best thing you could do for me is to rub my feet, and I, I think, don't be offended if I go to sleep while you rub my feet. Well, when the spouse goes, is 100% content and goes sound asleep while you're rubbing their feet. If the satisfaction of the spouse is the goal, then what you can say? Look, this is perfect. He went right to sleep, or she went right to sleep. What a blessing. And you can go right back to sleep with them. But if climax has to be the goal of satisfaction, then you'll never be satisfied with that moment when that is perfect intimacy, right? When that can honor God and love your spouse and satisfy your spouse. So you want to make sure climax isn't the goal. See sex (laughs) as part of God's grace and an extension of the love of Christ in your marriage. I don't have it in these notes written very well, so let me just throw it in here as a side issue. I believe that sex is one of, if not the most intimate times of worship for a husband and a wife. I'll say it again. I believe that sex is, if not the most, it's one of the most intimate times of worship for a husband and a wife. Right? If you say, well, boy," I have a lot of couples say, well, you know, do you have a song list? Or do you recommend some songs? Or do you think love songs? We have these favorite love songs. The best love songs you can ever have are songs about the cross and Christ. There's songs that elevate your view of Jesus. There's songs that remind you of the gospel. That's a love soundtrack. You say, what are you talking about? Because what? Everything you're doing in the sexual relationship and the pleasure you're receiving from it is what? It's a foretaste of the relationship between Christ and and the church throughout eternity. When you think about we are one flesh, what bought the opportunity for you to have one flesh? The cross of Jesus Christ bought that opportunity. Jesus paid for your one flesh on the cross. He initially gave it as creation. It was part of his grace, a temporal grace, because it's not in eternity. It's a temporal grace on this earth as we anticipate the next. As we anticipate the future so sex ought to be one of the most intimate of worship times probably ought to include prayer ought to include the opportunity right it's not this oh we're almost right we're right on the edge of doing something dirty what in the heavens are you talking about again I'm going back it's not in our notes but I'm gonna stick it in next year Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You can't adopt the world's view of sex. I would also say don't adopt the world's terminology for sex. Don't adopt the world's attitude about sex. Don't adopt anything of the world. Come up with your own terminology. I talk about this. We have a lot of fun with this in premarital counseling. Develop your own language. A fun couple that has a lot of creativity can talk about sex in front of six other couples and they don't even know what they're talking about. One example, I have a, a close friend. He and his wife used to call, when they would have sex, they called it, the public word they used was football. And I've been, in many instances, I knew that uh, I knew that and so I've been in instances where they're at the back of a church service on Sunday and the girl looks up to all of them and says oh man and says the man's name says Sunday is our day for football we spend the whole afternoon that is what we do we're getting home because it is football time and everybody in the room thinks what well they're going home to watch the Cowboys That's not what she's saying at all. And the husband's like, yep, it's football time. We'll see y'all later. Right? And he's dragging her halfway out the door. Right? I think, why can't you call it whatever you want to call it? Right? The world system isn't the standard. Certainly, the bathroom isn't the standard. What's written on a stall wall? If it's on a stall wall, probably shouldn't be coming out of your mouth. Right, so have a higher standard. See it as an extension of God's grace. All right, number letter B, we got to move here. So what if we have different levels of desire? Let me give you a couple things. First, your personal desire is not the standard. The standard is the spouse's satisfaction. You say, well, she, could, she wants it every day. Well, then do your best to satisfy her. He wants it every day. Well, then do your best to satisfy him. The goal is to see sex as part of the overall relationship that is filled with a selfless love toward the spouse and a desire to please God, pardon me, as one flesh. So, withholding sex is sin if it's done outside of the biblical guidelines. If one spouse says, oh man, it'd be fun to have sex tonight, and the other one says, no, without mutual consent, without a conversation, that's a sinful statement. Never bargain or reward your spouse with sex. I think that's sin also. Sex is not a commodity, it's not a currency. Now, if a wife says to her husband, this is an example I use a lot in premarital counseling. If a wife is sitting in the living room with her husband, it's been a long day, and the dishes are in the sink, and she looks at him and says, you know what, I think I want a bath tonight before we go to bed. I am worn out. So I think I'm going to head to bed. But the kitchen is full of dishes. But I'm just going to tell you, sweetheart, there is nothing sexier than a man to come to bed with dish, dishwater hands. <laughs> What's she saying? I'm going to get a bath. Would you please knock out those dishes? And then when you get to bed, I think you'll be satisfied. I don't think that's bargaining. I don't think that's a reward. I think it's a couple that's having fun together. She's just essentially saying, hey, can you help out here? That's, a, that's perfect, right? When I'm talking about bargain or reward, I'm talking about something more nefarious, something that is used to manipulate. Number five, use the differences in desire to do careful and diligent self-counsel. And I have a whole list of things you can do here for self-counsel. Whole list of questions okay look at c then so what if i am the one that's not pleased number one consider everything we've already said in point a and point b matthew 7 says take care of your log first lovingly communicate with your spouse and then three realize regardless well this is this is worth a big circle or a star or something regardless of your pleasure level, there's never an excuse to sin. I don't care how dissatisfied you are, you never have a right to sin. Okay, some special notes to counselors. We'll buzz through these. I don't think you have any blanks to fill in. First, remember, this is a very common subject. As a counselor, learn to be conversant with the appropriate terminology, right? If you need to read, if you... I promise you, almost everybody in the room needs to read Ed and Gay Wheat's book. Uh, call, let me find it. My apologies, I forgot the name of it. Wheat, 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 wheat. Intended for Pleasure. Excellent book. Most of you are going to learn something that you've forgotten from health class. Ed is and Gay, they're, Ed is an MD, and he writes it. It's specific to... Uh, physiology and anatomy intended for pleasure we have them out in the lobby your counselees need instruction just like they do in every other area and you're the one that needs to give it to them so you want to understand the terminology understand the way things work number two make sure you always employ appropriate sobriety when discussing this issue with counselees right you should not be the immature person in the room You should only be saying those things that honor the Lord and help their mind go toward Christ, not to a gutter. Likewise, be careful with slang or other inappropriate ways of discussing sex. Pay attention to your own counsel. Where have you possibly adopted the world's model of considering sex? Do you think about sex with the right motive? Do you view sex as a need or as a blessing? Right, the Bible would say it's a blessing. Don't forget to connect marital intimacy with the power of the gospel, being in Christ and appropriate biblical love. I just was mentioning that in relationship to worship. Remember that many of your counselees may be driven more by feelings than by truth. So be patient and ready to walk with your or He or she tries to learn biblical principles and apply them in this particular area. i oh, put, put a big star by this one. Circle it, put a star by it. Always pay special attention to your own heart. Be aware of temptations to be drawn away by your own lust and enticed. Stay accountable with your spouse. Never counsel the opposite sex alone. So you want to be very, very, very careful. Don't let your questions, as you ask questions and try to discover some stuff from somebody, never let your data gathering be driven by your lust. There's a lot of things you do not need to know in order to give good counsel. All right. There's some homework here. You can read through those. One last thing, and I want to that I'll point you to here as we wrap up. Uh, in online at kevincarson.com, there are over 30 articles on sex. So if you go, I think it's listed there as one of the top. It might be the top one because I dropped it in somewhere. There it is. It's uh, under selected resources. kevincarson.com forward slash sex, and you. At the top of that, you'll get this Biblical View of Sex series. This is the introduction article, and it has links to the rest of the articles. When I do premarital counseling, this is where I take them, and I have them read the articles. I especially have some guys read certain posts. Girls read other posts. I send them that. They know which ones to read. And then when we get together, we work through what the meaning of on those particular series. So it is a a very... Hot topic related to the blog. Probably six or seven of those articles are the number one read articles on the blog and are the number one articles on Google, right on the Google searches. They're one, two, and three, several of them year after year after year. Uh, so I think that's some good material that might be helpful to you. Lord, we pray that we would be wise in how we counsel this issue. Even more importantly, we'd be wise in how we live it. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.